you get into it, I got a secret weapon, and I'm going to pull the plug on you. Terry Taylor used that sleeper. Even Kamala, with the sleeper cutting off the carotid arteries, he can't stand up. If Taylor can put him to sleep, it shows the genius of the young champion. He knows he can't compete one-on-one. -on -one. The 387 pounds is too awesome. There goes Carl Fergie as Kamala cuffs him to the head, and a cuff from Kamala is like a lion. It could break your neck. There you see Akbar. He can't stand it. He's on the apron. No disqualification. The North American title stake. Akbar jabs the end of that riding crop, the handle in, the let it in, into Terry Taylor's throat. It's like a vicious, weighted judo chop. You see Carl Fergie on the floor. You see Kamala stoically, viciously hammering Terry Taylor. Now Akbar giving Kamala the signal as Akbar has him totally under his control now. Terry Taylor got rid of Friday. He only had to face Kamala and Akbar, but Akbar still had to interfere. Now Kamala goes to the top. That 400 plus pounds, that ponderous bulk, trying to get to the top. If he comes off, Terry Taylor's career could be over. Hacksaw Duggan, Terry Taylor's secret weapon. Nobody knew it. Jim Duggan snuck in down there and was ready, and he said the only reason he came in the ring is because of Akbar, and everybody knows how bad Duggan hates Akbar. As you see him shattering that board, driving Akbar and Kamala out of there, coming to the rescue of his friend Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor asked for no quarter and gave none. He just wanted it one-on-one, -on -one and Akbar still had to interfere. And Duggan said he's not putting up with Akbar anymore. Akbar's got to go just like DiBiase had to go. There you see Kamala knowing that Duggan is an awesome force alone, much less with a two-before. And look at this crowd. Downtown New Orleans, rocking and rolling like it used to in the old days. Look at the people. Hacksaw Duggan standing tall, walking tall. Terry Taylor. Certainly the victor, Terry Taylor, because he had Kamala in that sleeper. Kamala helpless in the middle. Terry Taylor clearly had come to this showdown and has withstood the test and the friendship of Duggan and Taylor and Duggan's animosity for Akbar. Terry Taylor given back the belt by Carl Fergie, who must have an excedrin headache right about now for that cuff from Kamala. But it's pandemonium again. I haven't seen that. I was there. It was great to see it in downtown New Orleans, the Municipal Auditorium. Mid-South is going on, bigger and better than ever. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the Professor Chalbello Veracruz. Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. says I just whipped your ass to be the man you gotta beat the man Woo! look at this
Reflection Knights. What is going on there to the Big Vitoites, the Hameen Knights, all the ites out there, the left, the right, the them, the pebs. What's going on to the Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the Naughty Nine, the Terrific Ten? You know who you are. And this is the most nostalgic podcast out there for the IWC, YWC, PWC pundits out there. It is your favorite podcast. For the 12, it is your favorite podcast. The Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast. The PWR Podcast. Here on the Hameen Media Group at Powerbeam.com. And of course, on the PWC with Jimmy T and Chris Hambones and Jeff Lipman on the Powerbeam streams there. And if this gets uploaded by A-Track Brown, the Dirtiest of the City, it will be available on the PWSL Networks on the YouTubes. But before we get into the episodic episode here, before we get into episode 169, I must introduce myself because I am so vain like that. I need to stay young and pretty. Oh, so pretty as Dusty Roses always would say. I am the most charismatic one. I am the most scholarly one. I am the most stupendous one. And I am the most glorious one. The only objective man in the IWC. The only objective man in this political spectrum. I'm more fairer than Tucker Carlson. I'm more fairer than Don Lemon. I'm more fairer than anything out in mainstream media. I'm more fairer than all the alternative media mumbo jumbo on Spotify E2. It's your friend of mine, the Professor Chabel Cruz. And I'm not here alone. No, 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 no. I am here with my brother from another mother. I think he's rocking the uh, Kid Rock uh, cowboy hat here, and it just looks like that to me on the screen. But he is your friend of mine, Mr. Frickin' Stein himself, Mr. Wonderful, Dum Dum Doing Idiot So. Tommy Wonder, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. We got to say hi to the Illegal 11, the Tasty 12, and the Thirsty 13, too. Can't forget them. No, you can't more forget people. them at all. Yeah, well, you know, if there is more people than then bring them on. We could always, you know, increase the, the size from 12 to 13 to 14 to 15. I will take all comers. I am so inclusive like that. It is I will tell you, I will tell you, though, that you mentioned two people being released from their respective networks. Mm-hmm. One, I believe, will immediately go to Newsmax, and the other one, probably MSNBC, or they'll give him that dude, uh, who's the guy that got, his career just took a shit because he was rude to a restaurant, Gar- Garsden, James Marsden, James Garsden, I don't know what the hell, the late night talk show guy. Oh, James Cordon or something like yeah, that. that yeah, that guy, so, yeah. so Don Lemon will probably get his job, because that's where CNN wash-ups go, is to late night talk shows, but... I got to tell you, you you claim to be the most rejected one. You forgot to mention your biggest claim to fame. The man with the most dudes in his DMs on Twitter, the professor. Where the hell hell did I ever claim that? And how the hell you got received that? Well, you don't have to claim it. You're being modest. But I'm saying it's it's one of your credentials and you you always forget it. So, but. Sliding into the DMs is with the females. The biological females. I knew you were going to say trans. (laughs) I know how you are right now. So don't don't even try to. No, I'm just saying it doesn't it doesn't excuse the fact that you still have the most dudes in your DMs too sliding in there. No lube. But this is the man that that found Big Ray's grinder and has yes. been going back and forth but corresponding. Nice segue. Nice segue because mm-hmm. I'm about to give props to Big Ray again. Number mm-hmm. one followed man on grinder. But he he was happy about both Tucker 
and Don Lemon being let go. He wasn't happy about just one. He was happy about both. So that, my friend, is objective. That's mm-hmm. someone who hates both polarizing figures. Um, and, and then, be, truth be told, I laughed at both too. So you know, that's the way I felt. Well, he made a public statement about it. I, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't say you weren't objective. I'm just mm-hmm. saying he also is objective. And mm-hmm. I was surprised to see that because I'll tell you what, I don't watch enough of any of them to have an opinion on, on them that would be definitive. Mm-hmm. I do know this. I, I feel the same way about Tucker as I do about Trump. I would never, ever hang out with either one of them because I know it would end in me humbling them because I'd have to, I'd have to, they would educate be, them. They would say something to me to try to burn me, and I would just have to show them why I was the best there ever was in Detroit Middle School, and I would mm-hmm. embarrass them. But I love that they're not afraid to say the shit that everybody else is afraid to say. I'm saying it's always right, but I'm saying, I told you this before, I believe Stone Cold Steve Austin's popularity is because he did to his boss what we always wish we could do to ours, and I believe mm-hmm. their popularity is they say shit that people go, you can say that? And because they didn't think you could and they've been trying to cancel them whatever this was i there's been a lot of i've been hearing a lot of anti-fox sentiment from conservatives so i wouldn't be surprised same with dan bongino they're all gonna go to newsmax fox news is owned by a liberal so really it's the liberals playing their people on both sides with the msnbc cnn's and fox news i don't know enough about newsmax to know it, what they're doing it, re- it really sounds like professional wrestling because that's the way the bookers yeah. are they, yeah. they, feed, they feed the fans yeah. all the recipes of both sides. And then, you know what? You see how it's booked, and then it sprinkles in. And then, you know, you got WrestleMania, yeah. you got Starcade. It, it just goes up. I, I, I think they're both going to end up somewhere. And so of all course. these people that are celebrating today, it's 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 comical to me. Now, when, when, you, got, when you got Spotify, when you got Podbean, right. when you, you got said the it podcast best. realm. You said they've already made him. They've made him. He's going to end up on Spotify and make $100 million just to sign yeah, with them. So. And, and so you you get it. And mm-hmm. and and Ray, even though he said bye-bye to both of them, he also knows. And he's somebody who follows both of those guys because he talks about it on podcasts. I'm talking about the people on our Facebook who don't know shit about shit, who mm-hmm. either are celebrating that Lemon got fired. P.S. He hasn't been on TV in weeks. And so others celebrating Tucker. And then also steamrolling it by saying, oh, Hannity's still on TV. And just people who are parroting. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They have no idea why they're mad at those guys. They just know they're supposed to be. So it's funny to me because they're going to end up back on something else. And then I want to see everyone's tears. Oh, my God, I can't believe they're on TV. Well, if you don't watch it, why do you care? It's stupid. The sheeple are sheeple. Bingo. Bingo. It's it's funny to me. But this is not a Kid Rock hat. Not that I would have a problem with that. But this is the hat that, you know me, I'm the, I'm the king of peacocking. I took the mantle from my great peacocking role model, Scotty O. He's, he's, no, he's no longer out there hitting these streets peacocking. He settled down with the lady. So now I'm out here peacocking. That's why I wear the loud colors, the, the red shoes, Pe- the gold peacocking. shoes. Peacocking. That, that sounds yeah. a little grinder-esque, but that's a no, nice No, no, no. no. Okay. That okay. docking is grinder-esque. But okay. this hat, every time I told someone I was going to buy this hat, it's red, white, and blue, but it's like, uh, aged, you know, I don't know what the hell it is. It's not white. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. like weathered. But every single person I said I was going to buy this hat told me not to. That's when I knew I had to. And now I'm wearing it. 
What well, you got your choice? Um, I I don't need to to stretch it, but I guess people are are being sheeple to tell you not to buy it. People are say, are trying to restrict you from buying something that you have the freedom in this country to buy. So what? But here's the thing: if they don't want me to buy it, it's because they haven't opinion on it. So if I mm. wear it out and about in the public domain, someone else will also have an opinion about it. And if it's negative, there's no such thing as bad press. I, I know, you know, the stereotype is you you storm the Capitol and then you got off scot free. So neither here nor there. But you know, that's that's how I, entertaining I, it I, is. I would never storm a Capitol because I, it's fucking futile. I don't. I no, with with that hat on, that's the stereotype. You stormed the Capitol, or you was trying to you was trying to kidnap your beautiful uh, governor of Michigan. There were times so, when yeah. I wanted to hit that when she wears that Darth Vader leather outfit out there, the press conference. You see the song? Well, but anyway, we oh. gotta get back before we go. Oh shit! Speaking of Ray. Oh damn it! Came is is it that time? Or, is it that time? Is it, it came today? Yeah. Time flies. Right, we ready? I'm not. Wait, wait, wait! For the for the audio uh, reflection, I said don't get to see the video, the visuals. TW, it's that time of month. He yep. is a pro wrestling crate member. And now he is unboxing and revealing to all the Reflectionites out there what, well, he already told us the, on the last podcast, you know, about a month ago, what was he was expecting. So hopefully he will be happy. And hopefully maybe Adam Cole will somehow mysteriously appear on this pro wrestling crate. If it's via the shirt or via uh, not going to be a shirt. Figures. And the first thing is an Owen Hart, oh, King of Hearts shirt. That's like. Oh, that's a New Japan Owen Hart look. That's a that's a uh, his year sixty five. I like mm -hmm. the color of this one. Let me take these sunglasses off. It's distorting my view. I like the color of this. I just don't know who it is. Oh, it's your boy. It's actually not a bad shirt. It's my boy. Well, what organization is my boy? Oh, that's nice. This that's is a, nice. That's a Taz Tampa Bay Buccaneers shirt. Path of Rage, that, human suplex if, machine. I don't know if Taz would like that shirt because of the Tampa Bay Bucks, but you know, maybe with Tom but, Brady. But, but, but he's a buck pirate, so he probably does like the fact that he's a pirate. Oh, you're gonna wear it, Tom Brady? That's exactly why I like it. It's a little bit of both. Oh, you're right. gonna wear it though. Good, good. If this, oh yeah, I'm gonna wear it. Okay. What is that? The young bucks are a pin. Thanks. Thankfully, they weren't. I'm a little disappointed. That, I see Adam Cole. That that is either going to the trash or you're gonna give that away so so easily so that you will not have that in your house. American Dragon Brian Anderson looks like a Power Rangers. Oh, looks like a Power Rangers ranch. Micro Brawler, Greg. That, another one? How many Hammer Valentines? No, the Hammer Valentine was the hammer. The little. Oh, bottle. okay. I, it always seems like you get a multiple, you get the same Greg the Hammer Valentine stuff, or you get multiples. Now I'm not. I, you know what? I've come around on this guy. I don't hate him, but you know I wear these kinds of sunglasses. These are some fake Ray Bands. But mm -hmm. do you know who they are? Uh, no. Who is that? Oh, the Orange Cassidy uh sunglasses. Somewhere is his hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Somewhere is Well, I, I, I'm sure yeah. you're gonna you're gonna wear them on a, during a a basketball game or a hockey game in Detroit. 
in the upcoming then, season. And then throw them on the ice. Oh, I got my yeah. season. I got half a season. And last but not least, who's my 8 by 10 I don't remember who the other guy was. Well, it ain't Adam Cole, so that's for damn sure. <sighs> yeah. And he's not happy, Reflectionites. Repo man. I would have been, so. been happier with freaking Smash. But, but still these, I condensed them all to two boxes. One box mm-hmm. is eight by tens, DVDs, and whatever the hell the other things I do in there, uh, gimmicks. And the other box is the the pins and the patches and the whatever. And then the t-shirts are. I like, took them all out because I think I'm gonna sell some of them. I don't. I ain't so ever gonna a, wear. A, so in closing. So in closing, TW, on a scale of one to ten, how how satisfied were you with this unboxing? This is a five. A five? I thought you were five. Had... Damn. I like the Owen shirt. I like the Taz shirt. I like the micro brawler. The pin, I'm happy that it's not. I'm not happy mm-hmm. or sad. That's what I mean by five. I'm not You're you're indifferent to that. Indifferent. That pin. Uh, okay. uh let's see. Yeah, Repo Man was automatically gonna be um mm-hmm. Yeah. So next month, Lucha Brothers, as your boys, You're Claudio Castagnagli, I did not say Cesaro, uh, who was one of my favorite wrestlers now. He is just, he's absolutely disappeared there. from my radar on AEW. <laughs> I'm very, very let down by it. William Regal, the acclaimed Matt Seidel, is he still there? Yeah. On uh, Dark and Elevation. Wow. Road Warriors and your favorite wrestler of all time, Dean Ambrose. It's not what it says, though. This one's uh, indifferent. So so this is this month's a five. Next month's going to be a three reflection. I'm already <laughs> calling it. So with that being said, that has been the unboxing or the revealing of TW's Pro Wrestling Crate. But now we must get into what we do best here. What this show is all about. What Big Ray Hernandez, the executive producer extraordinaire, his brainchild, wanted to bring to the masses. If 12's a mass, then so be it. But anyway, neither here nor there. This is episode <laughs> 169, and we are going back to TW's favorite organization. It wasn't called UWF at this time in 1985, per se, but it is Bill Watts Mid-South Wrestling from, you know, the, the territories that Bill Watts controlled to a degree, TW, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Houston, Texas, TW. This is your your favorite organization. I, I know it was more favorite because when it was called Universal Wrestling Federation, it was bigger <clears throat> in, your, in your humble opinion. Mid-South Wrestling felt regional, felt territorial, but the cast, the characters were there. And the funny thing about picking this episode, TW, and I just wanted to say this first before we even delve into this, is the timing of this episode <laughs> is April, I think, 25th, Reflection Nights, of 1985. What happened about a, a couple of weeks after this after this episode aired, TW, WrestleMania 1 premiered. So the, Oh, the, that, he but, mentioned that on the show. And the reason I also think that is because the president, the CEO, the founder, whatever you want to call it, uh, TW, Bill Watts, every week when he is on Mid-South television, he had to make it a point to take shots, pot shots at Vince McMahon. He knew who the enemy was. He knew that he was not sports entertainment. His organization and his guys 
were professional wrestlers, were real athletes. He took digs at Vince McMahon weekly and wanted to make a point of it. Also, in this episode, Reflection as I want to say this. We're not going to go segment by segment because some of the matches were, you know, were just kind of feeders, builders so, to a degree. But there was one or two matches that had some high stakes value, TW, and we'll talk about that. But I want to talk about Bill Watts first, TW, and you want to you can retort back. But there was one thing that he said that was prevalent. Of course, like I said, he took pot shots at Vince McMahon. He took pot shots at Mr. T. He's like, we're not cartoon characters. We're not cartoon characters here. We are professional athletes. This is real. What they do in Connecticut, what they do in New York is Hollywood showmanship. He talks about there's real, it's real wrestling, it's real injuries, it's a real sport. So let's say TW about Bill Watts, not only, you know, keeping the curtain of professional wrestling closed to a degree as best as he could, but of course, you know, certain people are in the WWF at this time. JYD, one of his big sellers, is there. Tito Santana, he did he nestled in mid-south a time or two. So, you know, what say you about him trying to not only sell his product, but defend professional wrestling at the same time? It's funny, it's even deeper than that, because at the end of this episode, there's a video celebrating DiBiase coming back from his mm -hmm. suspension. And right. who are the people in the video that he's beating up? Junkyard Dog. Tito Santana, Andre the Giant, um, and he says he took out some heavy hitters in there. I, I'm gonna, I, I do think there were shots taken at Vince, but he, th this particular segment, I think he was banding together as like a, as a as a business, like all of them together, because mm -hmm. he talked about the the uh, 2020 incident, and he said you had three guys on there who went on there, and he goes gave a bad representation of it, unless. That was a follow-up and not the John Stossel situation where maybe Vince sent three guys there to say it was not it was entertainment or whatever. But but I felt like he was defending it. And he and he and he said, you know, he made instant celebrities out of Hollywood stars, which I liked what he said because he was almost saying they were Hollywood stars, but now because they're in wrestling, they're bigger stars. So I liked that he did that. And 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 I wait, like wait, 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 wait. Well, hold on. You don't think that's a pot shot because he's saying no, 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 it's no, no, so no, no, it's, no. it's it's easier that they that those Hollywood guys went in and turned and got turned into wrestling stars. That's what I'm saying. He he's oh, okay. saying that WrestleMania made them bigger. So it's not a shot at WrestleMania. It's a shot at Hollywood stars, right? And he no, said I, I, New York doing I, their I things. think I think no, because he's saying that his guys that are in Mid South are the real athletes. His right. guys. And the people in the WWF are pussies He's, and pantyways. And Mr. T. I pussy. feel like the point of that thing was to talk, to, to say, fuck 2020. That's what I got out of it. Like, I, I, I got fuck 2020, fuck John Stossel, and fuck Vince McMahon because Mid-South is the real deal. But that's just me. Go ahead, TW. I'm sorry. But don't throw nobody over the top, bro. And don't come off the top, bro. That's horrible. Which I get it. Because he probably thinks they're fake. Like... Coming off the top rope and someone laying in the ring waiting for you to come off the top rope. Well, it's not real. TW, we know logistically that at this time he's still in partnership with the National Wrestling Alliance, and that is still one of those stupid yeah. traditional well, his, rules. He's the dumbass that brought it back to the NWA when it was gone. And no, it never was gone. It, it, it got gone in, in the late 90s. Listen to me. When he got brought in as the commissioner of the NWA, 
The first two things he did was, if you get thrown over the top rope, it's an instant disqualification. And it was two, always going to be. If you come off the top rope, you're disqualified. That was the that was the alternative. That was the new rule that he brought in. But right, again, but people didn't enforce the top rope rule. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. He said we're going to enforce it. Now I like it because that's a that's a territory, if you will, because it was a territory at the time. Ric Flair, what was his shtick as champion? He didn't win, but he lost by cheating or disqualification or countout, right? So throwing someone over the top rope is cheap heat way to lose but keep your belt. So I liked it as an option. And also, they teased the crowd by throwing guys over the top rope when the referee didn't see it and stuff like that. But when it's just any everyday match, let's just say hypothetically today, WWE, say they recognize that rule. You know how many fucking young guys are going to accidentally throw a guy over the top rope because they forgot about that stupid rule? All of them. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, shit, we got to disqualify him now. And it would ruin wrestling. But yeah, I digress. And, and, the, and the top rope rule would ruin AEW and the indies. So it one, either way. <laughs> one other guy got, who was also in New York by now, got put on a video clip too. And it was pretty impressive. It was King Kong Bundy. And mm-hmm. Dr. Death Steve Williams caught him in the corner and basically a 360 power slam, but picked him up and held him and they pinned him with it. That must be how mm-hmm. Bundy left because he was gone after that. No, that was back in 1983, but I know what you're talking about. It was a eight and it was Dr. Dusty. Oh, Williams I thought it was a recent a, match. No, it was, it was Dr. Dusty Williams rookie year, as Bill right. Watts said in 1983, just showing how strong he is. I was, I was looking at that video. I was waiting for him to press. King Kong Bundy. Yeah. Then I would have said, "Oh shit!" That, he did that to one man game twice. He did a double. You saw press. it. I never saw it, so I wish you bring that me was the in clip the cage. Bring me the clip of that. That's all I, I did. That's your homework assignment. No, the cage was Duggan versus one man gang, and Duggan lost, if, and he if, went to WWF. But you know who who can do this? Tien Kupana. That will be your homework assignment. Yeah. If this gets uploaded via YouTube on the PWS Networks, Tien Kupana, I'm calling you out. If you can find me a Doctor that Steve Williams pressing. One man gang over his head. Please help me, the professor, out. Send that tweet to me and TW, respectively. But anyway, that's his homework assignment. But neither a lot of dead it. guys on this show. I knew you was going to say that too. <laughs> God damn it. That's almost you, 40 years you ago. Wanted it's to, understandable. You want you to depress a lot of people right now. You want to depress the 12. But neither, neither here nor there. But I want to get the back. The 13. Yes. I want to get back not only to the to what Bill Watts is trying to do in selling the Mid-South Wrestling. But since we, you talked about Dr. Dusty Williams, the people that already left, you know, JYD left, and we don't have to talk about the exodus of people that left for New York TW for the big payday. And of course, WrestleMania 1 was a success. But I want to ask you this question because, again, this is your organization, and, and it kind of dawned on me when I'm looking at this episode here. The North American champion Re- reflectionites at, at this point in time was Terry Taylor, TW. One of your guys, you know, untapped potential. You, you kind of respect him. You, you love the technical prowess of Terry Taylor. And that belt kind of looks like an AEW heavyweight That's why you picked it. I didn't pick it because of that. But there's a reason why I picked it because there's a lot of things in, in, in this episode, in my humble opinion, that kind of dawned on the professor TW. I don't want you to follow me here because again, Bill Watts is trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? TW he's trying to keep up with Vince McMahon and his expansion. He has still some, some guys 
that he can lean on, that can sell out, you know, the, the Louisiana Auditorium, the Oklahoma Civic Center, all this stuff. But I felt that, you know, he relied too heavily on somebody like Dr. Steve Williams. He relied too heavily on someone like Ted DiBiase. He really relied too heavily on Terry Taylor, and he's the North American champion, which it means he's the number one contender for Ric Flair and the NWA title. My question, and, and I looked at this, TW, and I'm not, and this could be hindsight, but I think he dropped the ball and not giving, let's say, the torch, if you will, to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan, because of the, the spectrum and the landscape of professional wrestling, especially in the mid-80s, whether Bill Watts wanted to agree with it or not, Ric Flair in the NWA is showmanship. World-class, Devon Eriks, Tiger Beat, showmanship. But the visual is there. And, of course, you can't go wrong in WWF with Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. That's showmanship. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, out of the cast of people that were there, had untapped potential showmanship in comparison to Dr. Death, in comparison to Terry Taylor. In he had charisma, to, is what you're he saying. He had charisma. So I think the torch should have been given to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He should have been the UWF champion. He should have been the North American champion or something. Everything should have leaned on him. He could have been the Mid-South Dusty Rose. What say you in your humble opinion? It's because all the way up to Mid-South, I just mentioned it. He wrestled one-man gang in a steel cage match on regular TV. I remember they said it was the very first ever steel cage match on free TV, right? Okay. And he, if he won, he was UWF champion. If he lost, he had to leave. And then next you know, he was at WrestleMania 3. But, uh, or smoking weed with uh, Iron Sheik on I-75. But, yeah, I loved him. I loved him. He's a little bit goofy. But he's basically, and I didn't notice it until you started talking about it right now. I never realized it. He was the hillbilly Jim of the UWF Mid-South. He was always the champion's buddy because he's here helping Terry Taylor out. That's why he's mm -hmm. there. But it's mm -hmm. funny you say they never gave him the ball because Eddie Gilbert gave him props. Um, Tom Pritchard, in a match against him on this show, leaves the ring, gives him props and said, I've seen what he's done and I got out of there before he did it to me, which is true heel heat, right? Because almost okay. every guy that lost a match in here, I'm sitting here wondering, are these guys jobbers at this point? Or are they up and coming, you know, like like Jack Victory, uh, Tom Pritchard? I, I, I would say up and coming. I would I was, One of those jobbers, I think, was Wild Bill Irwin before he was an Irwin brother, which by 85, I thought the... the he the, he wasn't on the show this week. Then this guy just looked like him. He was the guy in the tag match against, uh, I believe it was Nord the Barbarian, but he was just called the Barbarian. And mm -hmm. Jake the Snake, who's wrestling in sweatpants. P.S. The DDT Jake the Snake gave that jobber when Nord the Barbarian pinned the other guy was the stiffest DDT I've ever seen. And then I that's, wasn't even sure the guy was knocked that's, out for that's real. Back when that, but that's back when the DDT was special. Right. And, but he and killed him. He pulled mm -hmm. his arm out before they even hit the ground. And the dude just levels his head. Then Jake sits on his ass and I, mute I kicks him out of the ring. Well, hold up. That's not the question, though. My question was about Duggan. Oh, uh, well, I went on a fucking tirade. Yes, but my point is, that's what I love about these, you. All these guys got all these title reigns, and Duggan was always their fucking wingman. He was their Mr. T. He never won a belt, but he was always there to make sure they didn't lose theirs. And it's sad now that you say it. And my whole point of that, that match where he lost that one-man gang, I was bummed out the rest of the weekend. I was like, man, he's gone. But then I was happy as a pig of shit. When he came running down the aisle on Superstars with the two by four, 
I don't even remember how he debuted at WWE. I was just happy as hell he was there. And you know who wasn't far behind he, he him? De he debuted against uh, Sheik and Volkov. He he interfered, and you know because he didn't like uh, Iran. He just he didn't ran like out Russia. there with his, with his two by yeah. four. And mm -hmm. you know who wasn't far behind him? Who? That guy. Mm -hmm. Well, yep. again, but th that's why I looked at this episode. It was kind of funny to me because again, we could talk about right now. The North American Heavyweight Champion, TW. And that's which Terry is the, Taylor. Which is the reason the AWA belt, or AWA, AEW belt is based off the North American Heavyweight Championship. That's in writing. Hey. It, it, well, AEW's belt looks better than this belt. It looks no, too big. Maybe it's, it's because the Terry... That the thing is. Yeah, I think it was maybe, Cody's idea. Maybe uh, Terry Taylor wasn't perfect for that belt. It's perfect for, like, Dr. Death. It's perfect for like Duggan. It's not perfect for a short, short guy like Terry Taylor, but that's neither here nor there. But since we were, I'm talking about why Hacksaw Jim Duggan should have got the, the ball, should have got the torch. Let's talk about the guy who has the torch to a certain degree. He, Terry Taylor, uh, Reflectionites is at this point untapped potential and becoming the North American champion. You are one step from becoming the NWA heavyweight champion. And, of course, we don't have to talk about the logistics, T.W. We already knew that Terry Taylor was doomed to fail because, again, the NWA was still under this bubble of the board. It was still under the bubble of being of a, of a majority vote. And Terry Taylor was not going to get the votes. I'm sorry. I know you like Terry Taylor, but no, I let's do, be but he, If you want to look at it, he would, it would look like Ric Flair was wrestling a lesser version of himself. He come out in robes. He had blonde hair. He did the figure four leg lock. Well, no, but because but he in, also in, did the flying burrito. In this episode, he's he's wearing the jacket. He, he's looking like an all American boy from yeah, like Wisconsin. Yeah. So he's not looking like the Ric Flair wannabe in a, a couple of years from now. But Bill Watts is giving him the torch, TW. And you know there is a story. He's you know he was the television champion. He was sick or he was injured. He had to bequeath the title for a little bit. He didn't, the, the storyline reflectionized was he didn't know if he was going to be able to wrestle again because of his sickness. Came back, overcame the odds. And, and in this episode, reflectionized, there was the first ever Ugandan street fight. I never, it's funny, T.D., I never, I never heard of a Ugandan street fight also, until I saw went this to WWE episode. Not long after that. There was one thing that I thought, because when I heard the word Ugandan street fight, Vince McMahon dropped the ball because he would have made it funner, if that's a word. He would have put he would have put bushes. He would put trees on the sides. They would have fought in some, the bushes in the parking lot. That, and he would have had some stereotypical African tribes, just like in the sides. But neither here nor there. That's just me logistically just being funny. But, T.W., Bill Watts. Put you put the Ugandan headhunter Kamala up against Terry Taylor for a reason to build Terry Taylor's street cred to make us not only invest in him but believe that he can overcome all the odds and be a credible champion. So let's say about the Ugandan street fight that they showed us here against you know Terry Taylor against Kamala with the help of the wingman Hacksaw Jim Duggan at the end. I I liked that. You know, this might shock the three or four listeners that hate WWE that we have. I love that Terry Taylor gives up size to Kamala, but they had a wrestling match. It wasn't a squash. It wasn't a, 
big man beating the shit out of a little man match. That's what it would have been in WWE. Terry Taylor, first of all, wouldn't have had a belt. And second of all, he would have been beat in like five seconds. Like Umaga wasn't even that big and would beat guys bigger than Terry Taylor quick. Mm-hmm. And right. I liked that they had a competitive match. Um, I, I like that period in wrestling. I, I think the WWE should do that more. And Hey, topical, since we got a little whisper in our ear. You know, everyone's bitching about this match almost versus Seth Rollins. Imagine, mm-hmm. imagine if Seth Rollins gets a good match out of this guy. A Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar, an AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar. Imagine if Seth does that. You think those same people are going to complain about that match? Just yes. let it happen. If it sucks, you had no expectations anyway. If it's good, you should be pleasantly surprised. I like when the small – remember the saying, what did King Kong Bunny? I think it was him used to say – a good big big no Bobby Heenan said it about his guys. A good mm-hmm. big man beats a good small man every time. I like it when that's not the case. Ray Mysterio beating Kevin Nash. Obviously, there's some shenanigans involved, but I just mm-hmm. like it. Daniel Bryan beating Triple H and Batista. I like it. It's it's the ultimate underdog. But the good thing about Terry Taylor and Kamala, he's not an underdog. They don't just tell you 172 times. Terry stands no chance. They just said, hey, let these two guys wrestle and see who wins. And it happened to be a Uganda nightmare match or whatever, street fight. They don't even Uh have streets in Uganda. They got roads. Well, when you looked at this match, TW, there was really no, it wasn't about pinfalls or submissions. Mm -hmm. You had to leave the barricade area. So it was more of a, it was the pit. It was more of like a Ugandan pit fight. Just, you know, think about it this way, Reflection Ice, and I'm trying to give you a visual. Think of it like a hell in a cell without the, the cage, because that's right. where, you know, when people could fight a little bit out of the cage with, you know, like five feet of room to fight. It's the same thing with the Ugandan street fight here. And, of course, with Kamala, he was managed by General Skandar Akbar, untapped potential manager, Devastation Incorporated. And, of course, there is another backstory here with this match, TW. General Skandar Akbar was a former North American heavyweight champion himself. So my question to you, TW, not about Skandar Akbar, but again, we have to at least correlate with why Bill Watts gave Terry Taylor the torch. And TW, I want you to defend it because, again, this is your man. And this is 1985. Of course, he's going to challenge Ric Flair in a couple of weeks, maybe at the Omni, maybe in Florida. Of course, he's going to come up short. But can you sell me Terry Taylor? Can we believe that Terry Taylor has a chance to beat Ric Flair? I don't see him as that as that guy. I could see him as the television champion, especially in 1985. And the reason I'm saying that is because he's the all-American pretty boy, not the the charismatic, suave guy with the robes and the suit and the thousand dollar suit. I might have believed that. Taylor made man. Taylor made whatever the Taylor made man. But I can't believe him as the all American boy going up against Rick Flair. Sell me TW. Why Terry I Taylor? Can. I can. go ahead because mm-hmm. one of the best feuds of all times, especially NWA related, is Ricky Morton versus Ric Flair. And everyone and their brother was hoping Ricky Morton won that belt. And that moment where he came out to the White Snake, Here I Go Again song, and the lights were out, and people had their cigarette lighters out and all that, that was absolute hysteria. The Rock and Roll Express were fucking over, man. Those people thought they were more popular than Hulk Hogan at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Terry Taylor okay. basically had the pedigree, right? And if you sell it as 
a younger flair versus an aging flair. Because take the robes off; they're very similar. They have they wear tights. They I'm, wear I'm pants, not disputing the. I'm not disputing the technical part. Right, Buddy, but the, Buddy Landell, but the, Terry but Taylor. But the, but the presentation, he wasn't Nature Boy esque. You got to right. admit that, especially right. in '85. But now, Steamboat versus Savage. If you had that same mess, Terry Taylor versus Ric Flair, and Flair catches, gets caught in a small package by Terry Taylor, and he wins the belt, no one is going to be shocked. He was a sound technical wrestler. He had submissions. And they I think they said he started doing the figure four to prepare for Ric Flair. And he does mm -hmm. the flying burrito. Um, he comes off the top rope. He I I absolutely would have bought that Terry Taylor could have beat Ric Flair then. Now, of course not. Hindsight, no damn way he was beating him. But I also didn't think Ronnie Garvin would. And he did. And I'm still to this day stunned that A, he did it, and B, he did it in Detroit. Very, very hey. stunned. And yeah, but cage. decisions by you know the bookers and the decisions by Dusty that Rhodes, part, yes, know. the politics. But yeah. I'm saying, as a fan watching, I absolutely would not have said Terry Taylor doesn't have a chance. I would have thought Terry's gonna beat this motherfucker. That's how I would have felt. It just to me goes back to my conundrum with like not giving Duggan that chance. You know what I mean? That's why I said that he relied on somebody like Terry Taylor, Doctor Death. And DiBiase, and, and again, no disrespect. Doctor Death, rest his soul, had fucking no charisma, absolutely none. Right? He just had the brute strength, which is right. very impressive. Impressing and the one man gang and picking up uh, Bundy, Bundy, and power, like carrying him and power slamming him for the win. Abs that that did the talking for him. But much like today's wrestling, you know, let's look at the difference. I can't mm -hmm. believe I'm going to do this. Do Young it. Bucks. And who's the dude who just wrecked his leg? Them brothers? Martins? That, uh, top Flight. Top Flight. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between Top Flight and Young Bucks? Really nothing except for one thing. The Young Bucks can talk. That's what you have with Ric Flair and Terry Taylor. Ric Flair mm -hmm. can talk. Terry wasn't as good at it, right? Got better. Right. But DiBiase in today's landscape is Bronson Reed. I mean, not DiBiase, Dr. Death. Mm -hmm. The peak, the highest he's going is Bronson Reed. Because look, even when he made it to the WWE, he was they were building that boxing thing for him, and he got knocked out by Barkon, never saw him again. Right? It's just, you're done. Because he has mm -hmm. no charisma to speak of. His best days for me, Varsity Club. When you had Kevin Sullivan doing the talking for him, he didn't need to talk. Him, Steiner, and Rotunda. Absolutely. By the way, that's a damn underrated faction right there is the Varsity Club. Um, we already did. We did a spotlight, remember? No, I'm just saying in general, there, saying. it's underrated. Mm -hmm. Who's mm -hmm. Spivey was the last guy to join, right? Didn't Spivey yes. join it? Mm -hmm. After Rick got booted. But yeah. but but the Young Bucks and the, and the Martins, the top flight, would have both been over in the 80s, regardless mm -hmm. of being able to talk. Now, one is more over than the other because... You you got to do more than the moves. Everyone's doing the moves, so you got to do something different. You have to have you you, you got to stand out some way, shape, or form. When like a hundred wrestlers do the same moves that you do, reflect. But those those two teams are very comparable in size and moves and ring set, whatever that you call move set. All that stuff is similar. They both have pizzazz with their gear and stuff, but two of them can talk, two of them can't. And yeah. apparently one of them's made a fucking glass on the other team. Well, 
That that sounds to me like eighty five Terry Taylor against eighty five Ric Flair. One can talk, and then the other one sounds right. like a boy. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like but it a, worked in eighty five. It would not yeah. work. It would not and work in twenty twenty three. And we move on TW with this episode and what was going on in nineteen eighty five, which also made me chuckle because I thought of you because of the last episode. You was very critical of the U.S. title tournament in uh, on you picked another WCW <laughs> Saturday night. And right here with this episode of Reflection Ice from April of 1985, we were into we were knee deep into the TV title tournament. This was week number five Reflection Nights of the first round of the television tournament. And it had Hacksaw Jim Duggan against a young up and comer himself. Dr. Tom Pritchard, but he wasn't called doctor just yet. But of course, you could see the untapped potential. But TW, I thought of you. I chuckled. And again, this proves my point. It's not the heavyweight title. So any lower tier titles needs a long story. It can drag out. There's nothing wrong with that. Your sentiment of the one night tournament for the heavyweight championship is still palpable. Except for what Vince Russo did in the '90s with the couple of week tournament for the heavyweight title, which was stupid. So I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna go into that. But my argument has been palpable. Lower tier titles like the television title here and ten thousand dollars, mind you, and like the U.S. title tournament last week, it can be long drawn out. But I, I, I cringe asking you this question. You probably did not like this fifth week of the first round of the TV title tournament. Listen. If you did each round by the week, I'm on board. Especially if you make mm-hmm. 16 guys. Because you're going to have eight matches. And we could even do that in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So you have three weeks in a row of four matches, right? You don't want to oversaturate it with fucking eight matches. That's a pay-per-view. And that's a long pay-per-view. If you did that, week one is one half bracket. We, no, you can't even do that. Because then you're giving unfair advantage to somebody. No, you do got to do that because. Well, I don't know. You know I don't. I don't know the, the bracket of the, of the TV title tournament. I'm just laughing that this was week five. No, of but the I'm first saying round. what I'm telling you. What would make me meet you in the middle with this fucking mm-hmm. dragged out, not having a championship bullshit champion? You know, I, I'll tell you this. I like it over interim champion any day of the week. I just let a motherfucker be champion until he comes back. If he's not coming back for three months, give him a waiver. Mm-hmm. Then in three months, he defends the belt. He's still the champion. Whatever. I digress. But you got 16 people. You got two sides of the bracket. Bracket Mm -hmm. A is this week. Next week's bracket B. And then the next week, everyone that won fights. Right? You want want clarity in such a short amount of time. I at least want a format. Not, oh, this match is in the tournament. Oh, not this one. This one's not in the tournament. That one is. This one might be. We're not sure, but we're going to have one more tomorrow night on main event. It's just dumb. If you have eight singles matches on your two-hour program, why can't they all be the tournament? I don't know. I'm just that saying. That would make but it, a fucking must. That this, should be your clash of champions. Should be U.S. This, wait, wait, wait. This is Mid-South, so they're not the talking about this. Was called. I don't know what their clash was called, but they maybe they were, they were saving it for the Superdome. Who knows what, what big event they, that Bill Watts was saving this for. But yeah. in this particular uh, round reflection, as we had Hacksaw Jim Duggan going up against Dr. Tom Pritchard. And the funny thing about it was Hacksaw won by count out because Dr. Tom Pritchard, you know, refused to get punished by Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But that's not what the funny part was. Tommy Pritchard. Well, Tommy Pritchard. But the funny part 
was Tommy Pritchard's promo after all this. He knew he fucked up. It was funny to me. He was like, I know I'm not a smart whoop. I know I'm not a dumb man. And I know I'm not. I was born that night, but not last night. He messed up his own promo, and I'm laughing my ass off. He, he was, you could see that he knew what he wanted to say. He knew he wanted, he had some character, and he wanted to have some pizzazz, but he just kind of fucked it up. So yeah, I don't know. You know I who did that he Bill turn Watson, his back on? Was it Terry that he turned his back on? Well, I don't know the, the logistics, but he probably turned his back on. Well, because they're saying for that the, TV title, he cost of, himself some friends and then loses no, but, in the f- first round. Well, the pillars of Mid South at this point is either Terry Taylor, <laughs> Hacksaw. We're using the pillars now. We oh. have to. It's either Terry Taylor, <laughs> Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and Dr. Death. I don't know where DiBiase is on the pillar because sometimes he was a good guy, sometimes he was a bad guy. So I, I'm, a, I'm assuming that the three pillars that I'm talking about are good guys, and DiBiase was the odd man out. So what's AUTW about Pritchard's fuck-up promo? He did. He botched it, but it let you know it was live, at least live recorded. Um, For that. But I'm glad he went out and did that because I literally, when they called him Tommy Pritchard, I'm like, this fucking guy was a jobber in Mid South, but he wasn't. You got you got to start somewhere, TW. Nobody's is. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Level. But I mean, Tom Pritchard has it. I mean, he to me, he's by far the better it, of the two Pritchards. It's all well. It's almost like saying Michael Hickenbottom. He had it, but he had to start somewhere too. TW. You don't know. Yeah, but Michael he was Michael Hickenbottom. Is. He wasn't Tom Pritchard. Change your fucking name. I'm <laughs> saying, don't use no, your real name. You don't know who Michael Hickenbottom is. Shawn Michaels. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Somewhere. I'm saying he wasn't Shawn Michaels. He was Michael Hickenbottom. When when my guys, my my dudes and that he, I wrestled with he, around and here, and he's Tommy Pritchard, not Doctor Tom Pritchard. So there, you right, got to start right. somewhere. But he also wasn't a jobber. He had a character, and they had an interview with him. So I was I was relieved. Okay. Jack Victory, I think, wasn't a jobber, even though he got beat pretty handily as a jobber. Um, mm-hmm. But the uh, the um, the guys that I wrestled with who would go down to Atlanta and do jobs once a month or go to New York and do jobs, they didn't wrestle as Cuckoo Lua Samoan. They wrestled as Tommy Torres. That's what you do when you're doing jobs. You don't use your gimmick. You don't mm-hmm. wear your gear. Like, I'm looking at superstar Bill Dundee. I think it was Jack Victory that he fought. And yes. I'm like, this little motherfucker looks like Omar Atlas or Phil Rangins or Reno Riggins. He, he just looks like a jobber. Yet he has superstar and a star on there, and obviously won. So they were pushing him. But could you but imagine? You, but you know, but you know the beauty of this TW, and I don't mean to cut you off, but because it's the mid south, because of these territories, because of the NWA bubble system, look at someone like, like you said, superstar Bill Dundee, somebody like Kamala. They can be there for about four weeks, kick ass, sell tickets, and all that stuff. And if they lose or whatever, they can move on to Tennessee. If they lose, they could go to the Carolinas. If they lose, they could go to Texas or whatever the case may be, as long as they're under the NWA bubble system. And then you can come back in a, what say you, like in two months, fresh, you know, zero, zero in the, in the win-loss column. You're not really, you don't really care. You're back in the territories to make a name for yourself. So it keeps you fresh. And, and that's the that's the thing that's missing, especially in WWE and AEW and all that stuff is because TV. you're not it's missing fresh. in TV. No, it's a lot it's, easier to keep people away over, when it's one hour of television a week. That too, Harder. but it's over. It's oversaturation, oh, but also TV time is, What is it? Guess what I bought yesterday? I don't know. May tenth. Oh, okay. Detroit Rock City. Mm-hmm. Little Caesars Arena. 
I will be going to my second AEW show. Cool. Dynamite and Rampage. So really four, three and four. And when, what is it again? May 10th. That's a, that's a Wednesday. Oh, okay. yeah. It's two weeks. Well, two Ooh. weeks and two days. And then in August, I'm going to watch Cody Rhodes win the world title at SummerSlam. Look, look at this. Big spender here. See? Inflation hasn't, hasn't affected TW no matter what. But let's I get saved all my money from the Trump years, and now I'm going low. The there, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, uh, again, with, with, with the territory system, you even said it. I mean, again, oversaturation or the precious TV time now in 2020 stress, we will we will point out who's not on TV. We will point out who needs to be on TV. We yes. talked about one. Maybe the, maybe, the, maybe the mindset is different in the 80s because of the territories. It's better to not be on TV every week. It's better to go to another territory and kick ass there and then come back because then your stock is, is as high as it can and be. People miss you. There you go. So that's bands. That's bands say. come to a city once a year. They don't come once a fucking week. They came once a week. No one would come see them after a few weeks. You gotta go unless away. You're hard, unless you're really they, hardcore. They can't miss you if you're not gone. That's that's the point we're trying to make. Reflectionize. But again, what what worked in '85 does not work in 2020. Thrust, and that's the the hardcore reality there. The second so, you're not on TV, the fucking IWCY does this motherfucker's not being used right. Absolutely. <laughs> Who's and your boy Miro? I have, he's living his best life with Lana. Lana's making all that money, and so, Miro's Miro's getting a paycheck. Right? Yes, so he can't open extend the his contract. They're just not coming to agreement on. on he's creative. got a five, he, He's already under a four-year deal, so he's just getting it's paid. Been two. He's got two more years left. So what? He's not complaining. No. But, but let's just go back into this here because I wanted to point out the difference between the sports entertainment, Vince McMahon, and the professional wrestling, the real sport atmosphere. And we have to talk about it. And you said it just for a little bit. You kind of glanced about it, but I have to focus on it. Jake the Snake Roberts. He was teaming up with Nord the Barbarian. That's not really the issue here. The issue is the presentation of Jake Roberts. In the Carolinas, he was very basic. He already had the nickname The Snake. He already, you know, we already know how diabolical Jake The Snake is. It's Cape Fear. But, but what Vince McMahon did so eloquently good was give you a visual. And whether maybe, I don't even know if Jake The Snake even liked it. Maybe he might have not liked it. But, but I think Vince told him, you need to have Snake on your pants. You need to have that symbol. If we're going to call you Jake the Snake, we want you to have Snake. We want the visual to match the name. Maybe the Damien was a little bit of an overreach, but it still it turned out to not be not in a land of Matilda. No, no, no. But again, I'm talking about the mentality of the of Jake the Snake being in the Carolinas. My name is Jake the Snake, Robert. I don't need to have a snake. I already know who I am. Right. The snake is more of a symbolic of what I am. But in Vince McMahon's world, the visual. <sighs> Accentuated the name too. So what's ATW about Jake the Snake here? It it's funny you would say that because if anyone looks at Jake the Snake WWF versus Jake the Snake Mid South and said he looked better in Mid South, they're fucking lying. That he was in in this match with Nord the Barbarian and these two jobbers, 
he looked like as soon as he was done wrestling, he went back to the back, grabbed a mop and a bucket, and cl- finished cleaning up the hallway of the school because he looked like a janitor. When he was in WWF, he looked like a star. And on top of looking like a star, you were scared shitless of this guy. And if you weren't scared of him, you were scared of his damn snake. And what is one of my favorite quotes? Don't say snake, Bobby. That snake is what made Andre the Giant lose to Jake the Snake because Jake had him by the mental fear of that snake. And it was just Jake the Snake in WWF is, and I'm saying F because that's what it was, is he's an absolute legend. Jake the Snake in Mid-South is not. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not even disputing that. I'm thinking the visual I'm, I'm presentation. You, I don't know if I'm agreeing pre- with you, but I... I fully endorse McMahon enhancing. I thought you were going to say what Vince does is, is take what you have and enhance it. Because you've said that before about taking people's ideas and making them bigger. Right. He he I mean, he must have enhanced it. But I'm thinking, again, maybe Jake the Snake has a, a mentality of being in the Southern Wrestling Territory. He's like, this looked might, this might be stupid. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe he might have been standoffish a little bit, but again, if Vince McMahon is paying you buku dollars, all right, fuck it, give me, give me the fucking snake, I'll carry it. Jake, give it Jake was probably like, oh, fuck, motherfucker, I already got a snake. I'll bring him on the next trip. Just pay me. Mm-hmm. That's what Jake the Snake's mentality is. And I met the guy. He's a nice guy, and he's a businessman. He's 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 mm-hmm. a very cerebral person. That wasn't just a gimmick. It's him. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to see him. You know, I know he's relapsed here and there. But I'm happy to see that guy has turned his life around. I'm happy he has a home in AEW and somehow still makes the WWE video games. The guy must be super cool in the back because everybody loves him, and including me. I like. Him. I don't like what he did in this match. I thought it was very Nasty Boy-esque how he killed this poor bastard. And you, you started. I started telling you, but we kind of talked over each other. He then laid or sat on his butt and kicked this dude out of the ring. And I'm like, you don't even know that dude's conscious. And he just kicked him right out of the ring, which was a thing I was taught back then. In 85, I obviously nine years later, mm-hmm. I was taught when you lose, get the fuck out of the ring. And if you didn't, pay attention. Whenever we do old stuff and we watch it, Professor, pay attention to what the heel does to the guy that doesn't get out of the ring after he loses. See, see Which the poor I'm... bastard selling your move. And then you mm-hmm. get Shawn Michaels. I can't remember what match it was. I think it was Brett. It was, I think it was the Iron Man match. When he won, he looked down at Brett and said, get the fuck out of here, and kicked him while he was still laying on the ground. And I just was like, ooh, that's, that's fucking ready for a fist fight, because he's like, this is my moment. What had happened was that he stole Jake the Snake Roberts' 85 uh, ring rat. <laughs> so that's called the receipt. So I have right. no... I'm, fucking killed I'm, on Jake, I'm on Jake the Snake's side. You don't steal somebody's ring rat. That when you go into Oklahoma, when you say eighty-five, do you think she was born in eighty-five? Because that would make her a baby. Do you think she was eighty-five years old? Because that would make. I'm her I'm just saying, dance. you know, the the legal current, age, the current, current the current rat for nineteen eighty-five purposes in that town, and that in that town, and that guy stole his ring rat. So that's all that we already know that Jake the Snake had a receipt for that dude. But what, neither and here nor that. While we're but, talking about rats, I would like to, I'd like to name drop once more. This oh, fellow right here, Marty, told me he had a rat in every mm. town and somewhere to stay, and he kept the trans and the hotel money because he had somewhere to go in every town. Mm-hmm. Also a businessman who wasted and, his money on stuff he shouldn't have wasted on. Well, you, you know, knew I was going to say Marty. That's fucking hilarious. Of, of course, <laughs> I said ring rats. I knew you were going to go with the with Marty Janetti. But anyway, 
<laughs> we can't talk about Mid-South wrestling without talking about the token black guy here. And I'm not talking about Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter. Absolutely but stunned we gotta, this guy wasn't in WWE. Stunned. But we got we can talk about Brickhouse Brown, the man with the jerry curl. He had a little ponytail. That's, the match was not inconsequential reflection nights. What really got me was the fans in the studio. I was panning the fans, TW, and I found the one black guy. He was right. dancing. He was shucking and jiving. When he was he when you knew, came down the ring and turned left. He was in the middle. All around the he was, but you can visibly shucking. see the black guy <laughs> shucking and jiving along with Brickhouse Brown, who was coming out with a boombox. And, you know, again, I know this where he is. I know the town he's in. And I know the situation that he has to do. And, of course, like you say, he's a businessman. But, of course, we know that there are perils for African-American wrestlers, especially going to Mid-South, especially trying to entertain. And I'm not saying that the, the, the white fan base was not entertained by Brickhouse Brown. They, you know, they gave him a standing ovation. Again, I'm not going to say, oh, they're racist because, you know, th they think that he's, you know, this and that. I'm, I'm not going to judge anybody's character. No, 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 no. But you and I know, TW, that the reality is that, of course, Brickhouse Brown had some disadvantages and he had to overcome that and of course he had a a very decent wrestling career but what say you about Brickhouse Brown he you know let me, let me, and he was me, very athletically gifted no matter what we have to let talk me, about that let me clarify what I mean but I'm surprised he was never ever in WWE because he was he would do jobs on like primetime wrestling or Saturday morning superstars but it would be competitive like like it wasn't like he got squashed he but First of all, you said token, and then said Kamala. We've already talked about the the real wrestling thing, which was a clip of Butch Reed with his eye looking like my eye right here. Mm -hmm. And uh, but Brickhouse Brown, this is you're gonna get excited and think I'm sliding in your DMs, but I'm not. Oh boy, I, I think you're saying they made him do the boombox and shuck and jive, whatever you say. But I, I'm gonna tell you that in 1985. I'm the white dude in the all-black school neighborhood, whatever. That shit no, 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 that he funny. was doing was popular. Let me, let me just say this. It's funny because you said Kamala and Mutri. Mm -hmm. Kamala was Kamala was they were both heels. Yes, Kamala was playing a stereotype, but right. nobody was. You know that that's a different issue situation. The reason I jokingly say token black is his is Brickhouse's presentation with right. the with the rap. With the boombox, right. and to sh and but, I say shucking and jiving to cater to right. the white audience there. And you of know course, who else shuck and jives? Superstar Bill Dundee, motherfucker. He did a little shuffle in the ring a couple times. But hear me out. Hear me out. Mm -hmm. 1985. This dude, and this is where you're gonna get excited. Think I'm sliding your DMs again. He's a good looking dude. That look would never translate today, right? He's got the Jerry curl. He's, he's got, got the, the soul Jerry roll. curl. He's got the tail in the back. He's absolutely built like a brick shit house, and he mm -hmm. can. He's an athletic dude, right? And he's good looking guy in the face. He almost looks like Eric LaSalle in Coming to America, Soul Glow commercials or whatever the commercial was in the in the Coming to America. That in 1985, what he looked like was the dude from Ready for the World, Oh Sheila. That's that was their look. So that dude coming to the ring with that boombox and that look, I just I had one issue with him, and you're gonna know what it is. No knee pads. 
He had them, but they were around his fucking boot instead of on his knees. And I think you know, he had water. Oh, they were? I thought that was a big boot. Oh, no, okay. he had a green boot with a black knee pad. I'm like, all right, he's got them on. Then I looked, and I'm like, what the fuck is the other one? And it was further down his boot, or it wasn't there. But I'm like, damn it, Brickhouse, you'd have made it if you'd have had fucking knee pads. But but this guy, he, he had it. He had charisma. And so think about it. The three guys we just mentioned, which is why I brought them up, not to make you feel bad about saying token, the other two guys made it to the WWE and got over and Butch Reed wrestled Hulk Hogan for the world title. We know Kamala did. Kamala in the casket match with Undertaker. They went on a big, better junkyard dog for, for, in case you're counting, um, mm-hmm. all made it. And this dude didn't. And this guy is the is the Rock and Roll Express. He's the he's the Hulk Hogan. He's the, he's the guy with the charisma who can get over and he can move. And he never made it there, man. And it's like, how? But, but again... You understand there are perils, there are disadvantages for right. an African American wrestler. Right. So it absolutely, there could have been politics. But there's, I'm going to go positive for you. I'm going to, I'm okay. going to put a positive on you. There mm-hmm. weren't that many of them, so it was, it was easier to be the guy who got picked because there was less competition if they were looking to have a black guy, right? Coco made it. You, uh, Kamala made it. JYD made it. Butch Reed made it. Eventually, Rod Simmons made it. But we're getting into the '90s there. But in the '80s. S.T. Jones, even though he's a jobber, he got a fucking toy. He had two. There were two toys we talked about on the show. How the mm-hmm. hell did Brickhouse Brown not make it? That's what I'm, they're so how did, he, how did he not make it to the NWA? Yes, how did he not make it, it to Carolina? I, did, that I do think I saw Brickhouse Brown versus Ric Flair for the title once. But it was, again, Saturday night. Like the same deal where he would like maybe, maybe he might have fought Ric Flair, but he was under the mid mid south umbrella. I don't think he right. was being Crockett. Yeah, I I just so, think I seen it. I, I it's but I'm just, I'm saying he, if he didn't make it to Crockett, then he didn't right. make it at all. That's just me. He just stayed in that territory bubble with mid south Tennessee the and maybe answer, The simple answer for why he didn't make it in NWA is we've talked about it a million times. It's the fucking South. That's where it's going to be harder for him. But how does he not get taken to New York? And get over. I, I'm gonna have to do some research because he must have turned them down or something because he didn't want to go on the road. But this see, dude, see had, what happened. What had happened he just was died the, recently too, by the way. What had happened was the Underground Railroad got got closed up, so he couldn't uh, go up north. So, but that might not go over well with the audience. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how many well, of the thirteen are gonna get offended by that one. But you understand what if, I'm saying. If, if, if the thirteen listen, then, then you know what. A Brickhouse Brown as a kid with very limited exposure to him. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if him coming out with that boombox was his idea because it was being modern, right? He wasn't being Savannah Jack. That's fucking more racist than anything else. Calling your ass Savannah Jack? That sounds like you belong in the South, motherfucker. But I I don't want to get into this deep, but I'll say this. There is no difference the way that Brickhouse Brown came down to the ring Except visually, in comparison to Iceman King Parsons, because Iceman did the same shit, and he came out to not Rocky he didn't come out to rap. Well, you know they, they could get away with that, but that too but hot, again, too yeah. cool, whatever the fuck they were calling, <laughs> too hot, too cool. But you get what I'm saying. But yeah, again, the reason I can I see where token, it can be seen as a stereotype. Yeah, but I'm saying as someone who was alive mm-hmm. in 1985, and people the Rock and Roll Express were trying to look like Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. I think Brickhouse Brown was trying to look like popular music on the radio, Ready for the World, or Prince. He almost had a mm-hmm. Prince hair. like. But Ready right. for the World looked like younger pretty boy princes is what they looked like. Because that was the look in 85. And I think it was him trying to look modern, current. 
There you go. But again, he had he had hurdles in the south. So with that, absolutely undeniably. So So how the fuck all them other guys made it and he didn't? I'm absolutely. Savannah Jack, or maybe he just loves staying. Remember, some wrestlers just love staying in the territory. Down because Savannah Jack to me always looked like an old man. So he had a good move set. Mm -hmm. He looked good, but he looked like Norman Smiley. You know, without the Norman Smiley. Uh, charisma, because Norman Smiley right. obviously has charisma. So Savannah Jack not making it doesn't surprise me. JYD mm-hmm. had charisma. Coco had charisma. Butch Reed was like your your quintessential 80s badass wrestler, black or white. So I understand why Uganda Nightmare, he had a good look and scary looks, perfect to feed him to Hogan with the other big guys. But Brickhouse Brown could have been their top bad or babyface black dude. And it's it's mm-hmm. I will never, ever, unless someone tells me with reason why that dude never made it there. Because other guys did. If no one made it there, I'd understand it. Mm-hmm. It would be obvious. Yes. It would be obvious yes. why. But the fact that other guys did, Virgil had no fucking charisma. That guy made a fucking career out of being there. Okay, we're, this, we're not we're, we're not going to do the black episode. We already did no, that. we're not. Go, go back to the you, episode. Go back to the I, archive. I don't even care the part that he's black. I'm saying, period, why did Brickhouse Brown... Not make it. The guy had it. Again, maybe he just loved being he local. Had, he had family. Maybe his family sold some cars was, Monday through Friday. Wanted to wrestle locally. I get it. But man, I gotta find out because he, the dude, was a star to me. Before we close out on this episodic episode, because there's nearly nothing left, because at the end, TW, there was a video montage, and I want to kind of like not talk about that really because I just want to just point it out here. You know, with Bill Watts taking pot shots at Vince McMahon's rock and wrestling, kind of like shitting on it to a degree. How did he end this show? But with a video montage of Ted DiBiase, he's coming back after his 30 day suspension or 30 day hiatus or whatever. You know how they book like, you know, you must leave. He's coming back from another territory. Right. So (laughs) it's kind of funny to me that, you know, he did a rock and roll montage video. So you're actually giving praises to not only Vince McMahon, but of course, Fritz von Erich, Jerry Lawler, because they they understood the evolution of wrestling. You needed the video montage presentation, so there's really nothing to kind of like you know. But you're also you're also making your guy look better than their guys because almost everyone in that video was someone that had gone to somewhere else, and they showed DiBiase beating them. But that's but that's the rule. You must show your guy. Yeah. In in the but they also didn't insult him. He said they were heavy hitters, and he took them out. Meaning that's yeah. why they're gone, whatever. But here's the secondary reason why I think you picked this episode. Because I just talked about it recently. Okay. In 1995, this guy was my agent in my one cup of coffee in a WCW locker room. Mm-hmm. And in 19, 2005, 10 years later, this guy was my agent when I was a druid for The Undertaker. And that's why you picked it. Because this show was centered around these two guys. Of course. I'm, I'm, I always give you homage on that. But before we, we close, TW, at least we get, I got to pay homage to somebody who is coming up with a rep, who is coming up with some street cred. Because in 1985 purposes, he's untapped potential who's going to become one of the top heels in the business, one of the top minds of the professional wrestling business. And that's hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. This is Way before Hot Stuff International, this is way before he gets the booking sheet for NWA or ECWTW or even USWA. 
because in 1983, he was getting the shit kicked out of him by like the Iron Sheik or Sergeant Slaughter, I forget, in WWF. He was a he was a jobber. He was a you know he was a good hand. Like he, he was, was contracted say. though. He wasn't just a jobber. He was under contract. No, no, but he was a good hand. But he 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 goes to the territories. He works on his rep, and now he's in the Mid South area. Grows his beard because the year before that he was already in Mid South, and he had an angle with the new fabulous ones with Wildfire Tommy Rich, which made the the Aftermax to a degree reflectionites, but. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert is in the mid south, and you already could see something is a brewing. He just doesn't have that look yet because he's in the army gear. He, he's trying to be General Patton and try to have his, you know, his stable yet. But I think he hasn't fine tuned it yet. He knows what he wants. He just needs to like find the right niche, if you know what I mean. Tw, what say you about seeing hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert here and knowing? What's what's gonna happen? Really, it, it's years funny because I wouldn't have known up and comer because I just see Eddie Gilbert and I just okay. Eddie Gilbert is UWF. As much as I like DiBiase, as much as I like Terry Taylor, as much as I like Doctor Death and Duggan and the Fantastics and, and and Chris Adams and Savannah Jack, you cannot talk about UWF and not talk about Eddie Gilbert, Hot Stuff, Hyatt International, Sting, Rick Steiner, Eddie Gilbert, Missy Hyatt. Ran that shit. I even think mm -hmm. the Freebirds were aligned with him at some point, but then they turned good guy and they were against him or whatever the fuck. I don't know. But Eddie Gilbert is a sad, sad tale because that guy, this dude is four foot nothing, but talks the talk of a six foot nine Sid Vicious looking motherfucker and backed it up either through friends or fireballs mm -hmm. or whatever he did. Eddie Gilbert to me, he you look around this room, man. If, if I'll tear up. If there's something missing from this guy's fucking merch, this collection, it's something Eddie Gilbert, man. I, I wish that damn Pro Wrestling Illustrated crate would sign with whoever the hell they need to sign with to put out some Eddie Gilbert shit because that guy deserves way more credit than he ever gets. And it's because mm -hmm. he's, I think he died in 93 or 94. Yeah. Like he's been gone 30 years. And of course, this the usual suspect, drugs. Um, mm -hmm. Good Lord, man. The guy had a mind for the business. And for being four, he's probably five, six, five, seven, whatever the fuck. But the dude was, he was the first wrestling manager, really. Everyone else was a manager that used to be a wrestler. This dude was a wrestling manager who wrestled and managed. And, and mm -hmm. was DDP ended up becoming one. Um, but Eddie Gilbert, man, it's good to see him on here. And I think, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about him. Uh, Kevin Kelly was the guy doing the job. In the match with the mask guy, what was what do you call him? The what the nightmare. Hell was his, the nightmare who bottled mm -hmm. his drizzling shits, and I couldn't figure out who the hell he was under the mask because I was going to try to do that for you. But uh, mm -hmm. but the only thing he did mess up is he tells us how he's the greatest wrestler to ever wear the tights and whatever, and then tells you this guy is going to be the greatest wrestler you've ever seen. You laid your eyes on, and then says again. I might be the best guy to ever lace him up. Like you just said, you were. Then you said he is, and now you're saying you might be. It was. It was all over. It gives credence to Vince in the scripts. No, but again, that's why I said he hasn't fine tuned right. what he wants to be. He's on his it's, way. Though. It's, it's he's on his way. I didn't like the army fatigue, but I yeah. knew where he was going that was with weird. it. Yeah. I, but I knew where he was going with it. And again, he's two years away. You know, predating from getting his ass whipped by Iron Sheik. So he right. that's a two-year jump to get to mm -hmm. the point of and being two years from that, he is UWF. There he you go. Is so the company. I, 
So and then he was mean, Booker for okay. WCW before he died. He quit there and then went to that Continental yeah. and died. But but yeah, and, he's, and he's, was he's Booker for e- he was Booker for ECW too before for when it was before. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So big, with big that, place in my heart for Eddie Gilbert is the point. Absolutely. And with that being said, we close on this episodic episode, episode 169 of the PWR podcast here at the Hami Media Group at Powerbeam.com. What are we going to do next week, Reflectionites? Because, you know what, we, we, we've been working hard, TW. So, you know, one more episode and then we'll go on a two-week vacation. You know, um, you know, we'll take a week off, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because yeah, yeah. we deserve a week off, you know what I'm saying? But we got to do a spotlight. And we haven't done... And I've been wanting to do this spotlight for a long time because I've actually said this for myself. Remember, we uh, we talked about with the what if there was the other show we wanted to do, Untapped Potential. It's time, Reflection Nights. It's time for me to do the Untapped Pro Wrestling Spotlight of a man who should have been bigger than he, what he was. What he was, and that is Too Cold Scorpio. It's time to do. The Pro Wrestling Spotlight Untapped Potential Edition. And we're gonna pay respects. He's not dead, of course. But I'm gonna tweet, I'm gonna tweet this to him and say, we're gonna do one for you. We're gonna get we're gonna put some matches. I'm gonna give you some Japan matches, TW. I'm gonna give you some WCW. I'm gonna give you some ECW. I might give you a flash funk WWF match to watch. So I'm gonna give you a lot of stuff. He is still wrestling to this day, but I'm not gonna try to give you a lot of shit. I'm just gonna try to give you the best stuff. What say you, TW? And then Fun we're going to get Fun that? fact. Mm-hmm. If not the first name that I ever conversed with as a wrestler in a locker room, because mm-hmm. my first four matches, there were no names on the shows, but the first match I did in the United States, Flash Funk, or Too Cold, wrestled Sabu in Lincoln Park, Michigan, and they broke the ring. Not scripted. Mm-hmm. The motherfucker broke. And then they wrestled another 15 minutes in a, a ring that was in a pile. And tore the mm-hmm. roof off the place. But he is the very first name that I ever asked to watch my match and give me pointers if he didn't mind. And he did it. He absolutely did it. And he gave me constructive criticism. He didn't blow any smoke up my ass. He flat out told me, it looked like you guys have done that before. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah. Try to take the robotics out of it and put more personality in and more feeling into it. And, and he goes, but you guys did some good stuff. And I was like, wow, that, that was honesty. We were just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And, and he saw it and he told me. But to this day, I am always going to be grateful for that guy. Because if, if that would have went sour, I never would have asked another guy to do it. And because of him, one guy that I did ask to do it, who also did it, was Cactus Jack. And, and he gave me constructive criticism. And But, but Too Cold Scorpio, nice dude. And it's always fun to be able to name drop. So I like your pick. I thought you were going because of our uh, our not pick. yet, yeah, not yeah, yet. Yeah. It will it will be we just we just say. But this one's for me. It's for the professor. Yeah. No, I, I must like make it. myself. I, like I must it. make myself happy. If so. I can, if I can, I probably won't be able to. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask around and see if I can find match that, that Sabu versus Tuco Scorpio match in Lincoln Park and send it to you. I'm gonna ask. That might around. be a that might be a camcorder it's right 100% there. One hundred percent a camcorder. Yeah. <laughs> but so but T- someone might have put it on YouTube. Is what I'm saying. All right. Well, so TW, give out those socials so we can finally get out of here. All righty. The Pro Wrestling Coalition Network sponsors us at PWC Network at Podbean.com. I don't know if I should say sponsors, hosts us because we. <laughs> there's none of this, but uh, mm-hmm. 
uh, Hameen Media Group uh, can be seen at Hameen Media Group at podbean.com or at channelattitude.com. Hameen Media Group. Uh, our show's on Twitter at PW Reflection. Um, Big Ray, obviously. Anything you want. If you're on a social media app, you just type in at Big Ray Hernandez. You'll find them on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and whatever else you're looking for them on. Uh, my Twitter is Tommy Wonder 19, and that's also my Instagram. But my other Twitter, where I'm a little more nicer, is at the Tommy Wonder, which is also my TikTok, Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder, Snapchat is Number Wonder, and then Facebook.com. I already said that shit. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Big Vito and Noel, you can find them at BigVitoBrand.Wixsite.com, Patreon.com backslash the Big Vito Brand. And then if you want to watch the early release of the reflection video, you watch it at Twitch TV backslash the Big Vito brand. And you can find me on my Twitter at PWSOPROF. That's PWSOPROF. And like you said, if this gets uploaded by A-Track Brown, this will be on the PWSO networks on the YouTubes. Follow my brothers in arms, Billy Ray Valentine at Obi-Wan, you know me. And I'm King of the Reactions, 8-Track Brown at the number 8, T-R-A-C Brown. And again, next week, we're going to do a Pro Wrestling Spotlight untapped potential edition i hope i'm not disrespecting the man because you know i might tweet this to him so you know i hope you don't block me but too cold scorpio you deserve a spotlight and this because i'm one of your biggest fans and i've you know followed you from wcw he was ahead of his time he was very ahead of his time so that's why we want to give the homage to two cold scorpio with that being said i'm the professor that's mr wonderful dum dum do an idiot so that's the freaking stein Tommy want to say good night and we'll see you next time here at the PWR podcast. Peace a brick house. If he came out with that song, that would have killed him with his career. <laughs> Not really. the white zombie version. Yeah, that would that came out in the 90s.